0: Welcome, everybody, to week two of FAQ. Welcome to Morristown. Welcome, New Brunswick. Glad you guys are here. We are taking the most frequently asked questions uh, at Liquid around the world that come in online. And uh, today I want to address a question that seems to pop up every year or so. Uh, Somebody put it this way They said, Did you see the guy who said the world's going to end? Is he a crackpot? a false prophet. What do you say about this? Um, Just honestly, every year it seems like there's a Christian leader out there who predicts the end of the world um, is upon us, um, that Judgment Day is around the corner. Um, This particular year is a man by the name of Harold Camping, uh, who is a radio evangelist. You may have heard of him. He made the prediction that on May 21st of 2011, the rapture would occur. Actually, not just that, at precisely 5.59 p.m. And uh, that was in the spring um, obviously, we're all still here, and yet his doomsday predictions made a lot of headlines. Unfortunately, it also left a lot of well meaning people bewildered. This is how ABC News reported it.
1: Well, you likely heard the headlines at the world, according to some, was supposed to end last night this time. And tonight, for those true believers who were looking forward to heaven, the absence of disaster well, it's now the disaster. And so, Ron Claiborne has the story of one man who spent nearly all of his money to warn of that impending disaster. And Ron asks him, how does he now explain himself? At 6 p.m., Robert Fitzpatrick looked at his watch, waited, and nothing happened. As some in the crowd jeered, Fitzpatrick looked stunned. I don't understand what happened. This is the year. All the calculations indicate this is the year. Those calculations were made by this man, radio evangelist Harold Camping, who claimed he had unlocked secrets written in code in the Bible. I am utterly, absolutely, absolutely convinced it is going to happen. Today, a spokesman for Camping said he is home in seclusion, and according to Camping's wife, he's mystified that his doomsday prediction did not come true. Meanwhile, the Internet was brimming with mockery of Camping and his followers, some posting photos of empty clothes, ridiculing the rapture that was supposed to have occurred on doomsday, when a select few Christians would ascend to heaven leaving their clothing behind. Never expected to see that. Fitzpatrick, who had thought he'd be spending his first day in heaven, was back in his New York City home, watering his plants, reading his Bible.
0: Part of me was excited with anticipation for what I hoped would be coming for me. And part of me was in dread of what would be coming for those who are not saved. Fitzpatrick,
1: a retired transit worker, spent most of his savings, $140,000, on posters warning of the apocalypse. He says he'll leave them up. The warning on those signs is still valid. Judgment Day is coming. And so Ron Claiborne's with us now. He's lost nearly all of his money, and Uh yet you were telling me he's now simply pushed off the date? Well, you saw there he was clearly shaken that doomsday, the judgment day did not occur yesterday. He went home, he thought about it some more. Now he says his faith is restored as strong as it ever was, and he believes that this will happen. It didn't happen yesterday, but will happen this year. He fervently believes it will happen in 2011.
0: So what do you do with predictions like that? The end times, the last days, you know, all of it. Uh, talk about the rapture. Because every year, uh, somebody says, hey, they've done the math. They've kind of cracked the code. And uh, they know for sure when judgment day is going to hit. Um, Harold Camping, for his part, he simply moved the date forward to October. Uh, and somebody texted this. They said, so is any of this rapture talk true? Or is it just hype? And that's understandable, candidly. Uh, it's hard to even watch that piece a little bit. You feel so deeply for a guy invested $140,000 of his money. Every year, it seems, um, new movies come out, 2012, that say the world's going to end based on some new prediction. The Mayan calendar, uh, the Nostradamus predictions. But the question that I have is, what does the Bible actually say? And so I want to invite you to open up your Bible and look for yourself. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 24, um, in which Jesus really gives probably the best explanation of what we can truly expect. The chapter here you'll notice uh, the heading is actually signs of the end of the age and what it says in Matthew is that Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives when the disciples came to him privately with this question tell us they said what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age and Jesus answered watch out that no one deceives you for many will come in my name claiming I am the Christ and will deceive many you will hear of wars and rumors of wars, but see to it that you are not alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. Nation will rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these, Jesus said, are the beginning of, what's the phrase here, church? Say it out loud. Birth pains, and we'll just stop there. Because you have to admit, when you read Jesus' very description of the signs of the times, there are some very disturbing parallels in the world around us. I mean, it's hard to watch the nightly news in the midst of breathless reports of natural disasters, wars across the Middle East, and say, hey, is this what Jesus is talking about? I mean, I want you just to think what we have witnessed in the last couple of years alone. We had that earthquake in Haiti last year that killed over 100,000 people, devastated Port-au-Prince. This March, we had a 9.0 magnitude earthquake in Japan that kind of unleashed that tsunami. Giant tidal wave led to a nuclear meltdown. Um, That word tsunami came on our radar in 2005 with that disaster in Indonesia, wiped 200,000 people off the face of the map. Um, This week, there's a a famine in Somalia. I don't know if you've seen this on uh, CNN. It's absolutely tragic, about 300 1,000 children who are on the brink of starvation. And when you see these natural calamities strike one after another, it gets you wondering. In fact, somebody actually texted. They said, hey, are these natural disasters, are these signs of the end times? You know, earthquakes, they said, wars, global recession. And you have to admit there's a lot going on. And not all of it is actually natural disasters. Many of them are man-made. In the last five years, we've undertaken two wars in Afghanistan and Iraq. And the entire Middle East is really engulfed, engulfed in conflict. Um, this year particularly was historic for the social revolution that's inflamed the Arab world. You've had the uprising in Egypt of Tahrir Square, uh, Libya, Syria, that entire Arab region is in turmoil, tremendous instability, and uh, you add to that, you know, the tinderbox, the, the, the match of radicalized Islam and, and terror, and you realize in the last 10 years since 9-11, there has been a radical change in our world. Something has shifted and is not going back. It's not just the Middle East. Um, this week, there was rioting across London. I don't know if you saw It's Unbelievable. People are, are, are very upset about the economy, as they are you know, here in the States. Um, you know, we have been through bailouts. There's the threat of a double dip, uh, recession. World markets are in flux. And when I see this, it's this kind of like global turmoil that leave a lot of people wondering. They say, are, are these the very things Jesus is talking about here? Look at what he says in Matthew 24. Wars and rumors of wars? Check nation against nation, check. Famines, check. Earthquakes, check. So with all this stuff happening, why wouldn't you freak out? This is upsetting stuff. And the key, Jesus says, is what these signify. He says in verse 8, he says, all these are the beginning of what? Birth pains. In other words, according to Jesus, these are signs of new life, not the end days. I want you to imagine this. Imagine you walk into a hospital and as you walk into the hospital entrance, down that wing, you hear screaming. Ah, you Sc- know, agony coming from someone screaming down the hall. Now you look up and you see the sign and it says emergency room. You've got reason to be concerned. You've got reason to be upset. But let's say you hear that screaming and you look up and the sign says maternity ward. You would have a 100% different interpretation of those screams, wouldn't you? You say, "Oh, wow. New life is on the way about to spring forth." And guys, this is key for how we think about the end times. It makes a huge difference if you think the world is just on its last legs, limping along in pain and anguish, bleeding, until Jesus returns and sends it to hell in a handbasket. And Jesus says, no, the kingdom of God is near. It's birth pains. All this anguish and labor is signs of new life on the way. It's about birth, not death, says Jesus. The kingdom of God is on its way to earth, and actually God is in the process of making all things new, the renewal of all things. We talked about this in our Heaven and Hell series. So there's incredible reason for hope, And to actually engage in bringing God's hope and healing to a hurting world. The problem for us occurs when people start reading prophecy like this and begin obsessing about specific dates and times. Because they start making calculations and start issuing predictions, which is like Mrs. Jesus' big point. Yes, Jesus is going to return to this earth. He promises that in verse 30. He's also saying that actually he's going to gather his people from the four corners of the globe and take them with him to heaven. However, he says clearly, no one knows about that day or hour, not even the angels in heaven, nor the sun, but who? Only the Father. And this is key, folks. If Jesus says no one knows the day or hour, guess what? You ain't the exception. (laughs) Harold Camping is not the exception. He may love Jesus, but he doesn't know more than Jesus, okay? Not even the son knows, but only the father, only the father sets the timetable for God's prophetic calendar. And and, and in many ways, guys, this is very liberating (laughs) because that means whenever somebody like, you know, they they, they predict a certain date, May 21st, 2011, or next year, December 12th, 2012, 12, 12, 12, you know one thing for sure. It ain't going to be that day, okay? That's definitely one day it's not going to be. That's why Jesus says, therefore, I want you to keep watch because you don't know on what day your Lord will come. So our job, guys, let's get this. from the outset. Our job as followers of Jesus is not to make predictions, but preparations. We are to prepare this world for his return. We're to actually do what Jesus did when he came to this earth the first time. What did he do? He healed the sick. He fed the hungry. He cared for the poor. We're supposed to engage, not escape. We're supposed to reach out with love and compassion to serve those in need, just as Jesus did. So it's about engaging with this present world, not like escaping from it. We're to prepare people by loving them, not scaring them with doomsday predictions. Jesus could not be any clearer on this. He says, so you also must be ready because the Son of Man is gonna come at an hour, what? When you don't expect him. In other words, look around you something's on the way, Jesus says. These are birth pains. The kingdom of God is at hand. That's how Jesus put it all throughout the gospels. So the idea is really to let this kind of stuff, eschatologists talk about like the end days, it's supposed to stir your heart to compassion, not fear in isolation. That's kind of what I think is behind a lot of these questions we got on the end times. I thought this person put it eloquently. They said, I believe in Jesus, but all this stuff about the rapture and judgment day freaks me out. And then they just wrote, help. They didn't even have a question. And uh, if you spend time in conservative churches, you probably know what they mean. Uh, growing up, I was first exposed, I heard about the rapture when I was about seven years old. It came primarily through a movie that came out in the 1970s. It was a low-budget Christian movie called Thief in the Night. Does anybody remember this at all? Okay, good times. This is, this is good times. Uh, because it tells the story of a girl named Patty who wakes up one morning and realizes she got left behind. Thanks to YouTube, I found the trailer. Enjoy. <laughs>
1: Speculation is running high that some alien force from outside our system has declared war on our planet, and there will be no place to hide. Hi, a thief in the night. Hide. I wish we'd all been ready. Now to the screen comes a powerful story of Bible prophecy. I know what's going on is evil, but I'm
0: not going to join
1: it. A thief in the night is coming from Mark IV Pictures in color. Please do not reveal the ending.
0: Do not reveal the ending. Uh, That movie scared the bejesus out of me when I was a kid. I, like, wanted to come closer to Jesus, but I was also very scared because when you hear, like, one day you may walk home and your mom and dad are evacuated and you've been left behind, it shakes you up pretty good. And um, it's laughable now because I look at that and it's like, you know, the Antichrist, he like drives around this crummy van. It's like totally a joke, but I'll never forget. It's, it's funny now, but man, it freaked me out because this girl, Patty wakes up and her radio is blaring. Her alarm clock's going with this news report that millions of people have disappeared from the face of the earth. And she walks into her bathroom and sees this electric razor in the sink, going, just buzzing like someone was about to shave and drop it. And uh, she realized her beloved Jim was about to shave, then zip, snap, he just kind of was, you know, was raptured. And Patty was left behind. When I was seven years old and saw that, that freaked me out something awful. For weeks, I would run home after school and come running in the back door of the kitchen to see if my mom was still there. Because she was, like, usually, like, chopping up apples or something. And see, did I get left behind? And uh, my older brother, Ted, uh, he would torture me a little bit. Because he's like, dude, you will definitely be left behind. Uh, you know, <laughs> I couldn't get out of my head. And so one day I come home from school, and my mom was like out getting groceries. So my brother got home ahead of me, and he left a note on the kitchen table, and it said, "Tim, Jesus came back. You've been left behind." And then the ink went off the paper. <laughs> and I will never forget that. I was like, "No!" And he's like, "Surprise, dude! Chill out." You know, he's in the closet. That we come from a weird, you know. You got to understand, Christians can be a little wacky about this stuff. Um, Even if the idea doesn't freak you out, it's a little confusing. And that's what I want to talk about for the rest of our time together because most Christians have heard of the rapture, but candidly, they have no idea why it's even called that because the term doesn't appear in the Bible. They don't know what it means or specifically what will take place. And so we're kind of left to kind of fill in the blanks or fall for kind of these dodgy predictions. But the Bible actually gives very clear description of what we can expect. So put your finger in the Gospel of Matthew and turn over to 1 Thessalonians. We're going to look at chapter 4 here because the Thessalonian church was confused about the return of Christ as well. They believed that Jesus was going to return someday. They they got the general idea, Jesus is coming back. But they were confused about how that was going to occur. And not only were they confused, they were concerned about what would happen to their Christian family members who already died. Because they're going like, they're like, Christ is going to come back, but we've already buried people in the ground who we love. What happens to them? So Paul writes this letter to the Thessalonians explaining in detail what to expect. He says this, Brothers, we don't want you to be ignorant about those who fall asleep or to grieve like the rest of men who have no hope. We believe that Jesus died and rose again. will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. Now just stop there because I understand this is a lot to take in. This is a passage where you're like, what is happening here? I want to break this down very carefully. Because the rapture basically includes four uh, features or aspects of it. I've listed them in in your notes. Um, I tried to be, you know, so you could remember them. They all begin with the letter R, okay? Four R features. And the basic idea here, guys, is that the rapture includes a return. You're going to actually have the return of Christ here. It also includes a resurrection. The rapture itself, we'll learn why it's called that, and then a reunion. I want to look at these very quickly, okay? Because verse 16 says, for the Lord himself will come down from heaven. So in other words, this is about the return of Christ. And uh, this is the confusion in my mind happens because most people get two key events mixed up in their heads. They get the rapture and the second coming confused. Let me share with you a simple graphic that I think will help you get a handle on these two concepts. If you take a look at this over here, and I've printed this in your notes, you can see on the far left, you have the first coming of Jesus. In other words, when Jesus was born in Bethlehem 2,000 years ago, he lives the sinless life in our place. It takes him to the cross where he dies as a sacrifice for all of mankind. Three days later, he is raised back to life and he ascends to heaven, the incarnation. This is the first coming of Jesus. After Jesus left for heaven, the church was born. Okay, that's the next key thing. We entered what we call the church age. We're basically now, the church, we represent the presence of Christ to this world. We do that imperfectly, do we not? (laughs) But this is where we're living and this is where, where we're at. In the church age, we are the bride of Jesus Christ. What happens here in Thessalonians is known as the rapture. And what you can see here is that when Christ returns to this earth to get his bride, what is happening is you'll see all, the, all believers through all of history in the world, okay, we're following Christ. He's coming to get us to take us back home with him. But notice, he never touches down on earth. It's kind of like a fish hook. It's like he comes down, but we meet him in the air, and he takes us back to heaven to live with him forever. In the rapture, this is what we're reading about in 1 Thessalonians. Jesus actually doesn't set foot on the earth. He's he's in the air, and and he calls us to be home with him. Now, I want you to imagine this, this world, all of a sudden, emptied of all Christians everywhere. I mean, the church of Jesus is gone. So we're supposed to be the salt of the earth. We're supposed to be the light of the world. When there's no salt, decay comes in. When there's no light, darkness comes in. And what scripture says is that a period of darkness and decay will take place, seven years, known as the tribulation. And this is, this, is a, this is where people kind of freak out because it's a time of catastrophic global upheaval. And in the battle of Armageddon, we have what's called the second coming of Christ. And this is when Jesus comes down to this earth. Not to claim his bride. He's already done that seven years earlier. But he comes down actually with her. And he comes down with his believers to establish the kingdom of God on earth. Together, we're setting that up. That's what we're preparing God, the, the world for right now. And that's going to be a time of peace that'll last approximately 1,000 years. It's a period that's known as the millennium. And then eternity begins. And so we'll be with the Lord forever, as verse 17 says. The problem here is that most people get the rapture and the second coming of Christ confused. Most people are like, I know Jesus like, is returning, and then he like, comes back, but then he leaves. And then, I don't know, there's like a dragon in here. You get, you know, people, they get all jumbled up and, and this confusion is what Paul's addressing here. He actually begins by saying to Thessalonians, he goes, brothers, I don't want you to be ignorant. He's, he's not trying to be insulting to them or calling them stupid. He's just saying there claims to be a lack of understanding about Jesus's return to this world. And that's why he gives these details. So just understand this. There is no, at this moment in time, okay, there's no remaining signs that need to happen before the rapture takes place. We're living right here in the church age. This can happen at any time. Theologians speak of the rapture's imminence, meaning it can happen at any moment. But there are signs leading up to the second coming of Christ. That's what Jesus is talking about in Matthew 24. Wars, rumors of wars, famines, earthquakes, all these things Jesus says, don't freak out because they're the signs of birth pains. They're simply leading up to the second coming of Christ. Nod your head if, if you're tracking. You with me? you tracking? Hello. Okay, all right. Follow along. The New Testament indicates the rapture of the church is the next major event on God's prophetic timeline, and it can happen at any moment. The thing that you guys need to keep in mind is these two events, the rapture and the second coming, keep them distinct, because Jesus made a promise to all of his followers in John chapter 14. He said, don't let your hearts be troubled. Don't freak out. Trust in God. Trust also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. And I'm going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will what? Let's read it together. I will come back and take you to be with me so that you may also be where I am. Guys, that's the promise that's being fulfilled at the rapture, okay? The disciples didn't know the dates. They didn't know the details of Jesus' promise here. Neither did the Thessalonians. And that's why Paul took the time to kind of spell it out. So the first thing... The rapture promises is the return of Christ. Jesus will return visibly and personally. And if you're worried, like, will I I miss it? You know, what if I don't notice it? You're not going to miss it. Scripture says, for the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a what? Loud command, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet call of God. Now, some scholars say those are like three different sounds described here, but I don't want you to miss the big idea. Jesus' return is going to be loud, Okay. Those of you who complain about our music, you know, it's a little too loud at liquid. Get ready. Uh, Volume, clarity, it will be heard by every man and woman who has put their trust in Christ. It's not just those who are alive, though. It'll be loud enough to wake the dead. And this is where it gets personal. Because somebody asked this. They texted this question. I appreciate this. They said, "Uh, my dad passed away last summer. He was a believer. Is he in heaven now, or is he waiting for Christ's return? And that is a very meaningful question. Because notice something very interesting here. Paul doesn't actually call believers who die dead people. You notice this? He he says, those who have fallen what? Asleep. And this is fascinating. In the New Testament, after Jesus was resurrected, never again is it said that a disciple simply died. Lazarus went to sleep. Stephen was stoned and he fell asleep. And the idea here, guys, is that when Christ was resurrected, he defeated death so completely that the term is now only temporary. That word asleep comes from the Greek word koimaterion, which was basically a motel in the first century, somewhere you could check in and get a good night's rest and you wake up in the morning, you're and you travel, you keep going on your journey. That word cometerion is where we get our English word cemetery. It literally means a place of rest. And that's where early Christians buried their loved ones, in, in a in a, a resting place. My kids and I, this is going to sound weird to you. My kids and I, we go play in this graveyard by the house. Does that sound weird? It's especially weird on Halloween, but I'm just go with me. Uh, we hang around in there, and it's fun because it's a really old cemetery. Some of the, uh, the tombstones are from the 1770s. And it's amazing because when we're in there looking around, the kids like kind of read. They love reading the old ones, what they say. And one of them asks, Daddy, why do so many of these headstones say R.I.P.? You guys have seen this, yeah? What's it mean? Rest in peace. We've all seen this phrase on headstones before. This passage in Thessalonians is where that comes from. The Bible says that when Christians die, they are simply have gone, in a sense, to sleep. They're resting in peace. In other words, when you die, your spirit or soul, the eternal part of you created in God's image, immediately goes to be with Jesus in heaven. But our physical body is buried. It's put in the ground where it remains in a place of rest waiting to be revived when Jesus returns. It's a temporary thing, Paul says. He says, according, according to the word, lo, Lord's own word, we tell you, we who are still alive, who are left to the coming of Christ, will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, the voice of the archangel, the trumpet call of God, and the what? The dead in Christ will rise first. And guys, this is such an incredible source of hope that we have as followers of Jesus, because the second feature of the rapture is a resurrection. In other words, when you—I appreciate what this person was saying—when you lose a family member or friend who has trusted in Jesus, we're sad. We grieve, but we don't despair, because we—all who pass away, we know they are immediately in God's presence, and in some ways, they've never been more alive than right now. And when Christ returns, they're first in line. They're actually ahead of you, okay? to receive their resurrection bodies. So the rapture, in a lot of ways, it's like this divine wake-up call. You know what? You know when you go to a hotel and you call the front desk and say, hey, can I get a wake-up call you know, at 6 a.m.? That's the idea here. All those cemeteries you drive by, all those graves, at the trumpet call of God, all those bodies that are temporary asleep, <clears throat> raised to life, wake up as they go to meet Jesus in the air. And that gives us tremendous hope, especially when we lose somebody that we love. You guys know uh, the British Prime Minister Winston Churchill. Um, He planned his own funeral, in in fact. This is kind of interesting. And what he did, it was kind of clever. He actually had at his funeral a trumpet player perched in the highest reaches of St. Paul's Cathedral. And after his coffin was lowered in the ground, he had the trumpet player play taps. You know how taps goes? That's not bad, actually. It's that call to rest at ease it's standard at military funerals rest in peace well done but it was amazing as soon as his coffin entered the ground as the last note faded he had another trumpet player hiding at the other end of the cathedral and he, all of a sudden he had him scheduled to start blaring another tune Reveille. you know that one the call everyone up and nobody missed the symbol everyone was like what's happening here Churchill was a follower of Jesus, and he said, I want the call to rest to be followed by a call to rise. Wake up, because that's where I'm headed. The return of Christ means there will be a resurrection. There's not only a return, there's a resurrection that happens here, and it's for believers only. This is not the resurrection of all bodies at this point, okay? The Bible says there will be a later time when all the dead, whether they believe in Jesus or not, are going to be raised to stand before God's throne for judgment. This is not that moment. At this first trumpet call, our loved ones who trusted Jesus will be first in line for their resurrection bodies. Now, somebody actually said, I heard the word rapture uh, isn't even in the Bible. Is, that, is it hocus pocus? Where, is, where does this come from? Verse 17 tells us where you get the word rapture from. Paul writes this. He says, after that, we who are still alive and are left will be what? They will be caught up, and just stop right there, because the Latin word for caught up is rapio, as in like rapid, seized, snatched up, just quickly yanked away, together in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And this this rapio, the snatching up, the seizing, happens in the twinkling of an eye. Later in 1 Corinthians, uh, Paul writes this. He says, listen, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed in a flash, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. Notice he doesn't say in the blinking of an eye, but the twinkling. In other words, in the fraction of a moment that it takes a light particle to pass through your iris, transformation, gone. Srapio, raptured, snatched up. One commentary put it this way. Imagine millions of people from all parts of the earth feeling a tingling sensation start pulsing through their bodies and they're suddenly energized. Their physical deformities suddenly heal. The blind can suddenly see for the first time wrinkles disappear from the elderly imagine this no botox their youth is restored all these people marvel as their their physical transformation happens in their hole and they're lifted skyward and and as they go through the roofs don't even explain the science they suddenly see aunt mary they see uncle ed they see father tom they, they see all those who they loved rise from their graves and after a brief mystical union they're gone from sight how will that work don't bother with the science, okay? This is supernatural prophecy. But there are prototypes in the Bible. There are previews of this. Hebrews 11 speaks of Enoch, who, uh, by faith, it says, was taken from this life so that he did not experience death. He couldn't be found because God had taken him away. In Acts 8, the, after Philip baptized the Ethiopian eunuch, it says, when they came up out of the water, The Spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away, and the eunuch didn't see him again, but he went on his way rejoicing. And the idea here, guys, is that each of these are prototypes or previews of what's going to happen en masse when Christ returns. Each of us will be given glorified bodies at that moment at the rapture. And and this is so helpful. Again, if if you've lost somebody, even if you haven't lost somebody, it changes your perspective. Um, I was um, Pastor Tom and I were, were out having breakfast at this diner, and uh, the waitress is, like, taking her order. And he's like, oh, I'll have an omelet. Uh, put, you know, did you put a little extra cheese and, uh, and bacon on that? And she's like, yeah, anything else? He's like, yeah, I'll take a side order of bacon. And I was like, oh, bacon on the omelet, side order of bacon. He just goes, back off. I'm waiting for my glorified body. You know, he's like, he, I, it's like, fair enough. All right. The rapture includes a return, a resurrection, the rapture itself, and then finally a reunion. I want you to get this because this is probably the coolest part of all. Paul says, after that, we who are still alive will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And this is really a sweet reunion. Uh, If you've ever been to family reunions, you know how good it is to see those uh, people in your family who maybe you haven't seen in a while. Or actually, maybe you don't like family reunions. Uh, That's okay, because your nasty aunt will be glorified too. Okay, this is a good moment. But this reunion has three aspects. Dead bodies reunited with their spirits. Resurrected believers reunited with living believers resurrected believers, raptured believers, reunited with the Lord together. And guys, this is like this, this stunning picture of hope in a world where there's so much sorrow. People were be put, putting to, they were getting put to death in the first century. And Paul's like, let, let us encourage one another. Look what's going to happen here. Do you guys see this? This is not all that the world is. It's not just death and destruction and decay. It's all about life. It's restoration. It's resurrection. I'm going to tell you something. My family's life, the reality of this Spoke to me um, when my grandmother passed away. My grandmother, godly woman, she uh, loved Jesus. I loved Grandma. We were actually very close. It was very hard to lose her, but I'll never forget my grandma's funeral because I had to do the eulogy. I was a pastor. Okay, I'll do the eulogy. So I'm organizing my notes and stuff, and I'm like all nervous because it's my grandmother. And my little girl Chase comes up and she hands me this. She goes, "Daddy, I drew this." I said, "What? What, what do you have there?" This is a picture of heaven. And it's the way it's described in Revelation. You can see, like, the gates made out of pearls. There's, there's gold streets, gemstones, all this kind of stuff. And she has a banner over here that says, Welcome Home, Nana. Yeah? And uh, I just, like, went to pieces. Because <laughs> I'm like, that's exactly right, sweetheart. It's Welcome Home. And she says, Grandma, Nana must be so excited to see Jesus. And I was like, you know it. And I was like, I can't wait to see her someday. And she said, I can't wait to get there, Daddy. That's my girl's view of the end times. That's my daughter's eschatology at nine years old. It's not supposed to change. It's I can't wait to see my Lord. I can't wait to see the loved ones who have trusted him faithfully in this life. And folks, that's the hope of faith in Christ. That's the promise for those who trust Jesus as their Lord and Savior. So, so whatever this world throws at you, if you're a parent and like you've lost a child or you're a widow and you long for your spouse, you're lonely. Live or die in this world. The Bible promises in eternity we will be reunited with each other and with Christ forever and ever. For Christians, death is not the end. It's birth pains. It's the beginning, Jesus said. And that's supposed to make us hopeful, not fearful, hopeful, full of hope. Do You see how hopeful the rapture is? There will be a return, followed by a resurrection, the rapture itself, and the sweetest reunion of reunions. And Paul ends all of this by saying this. He says, therefore, what's the word? Encourage each other with these words. In other words, all this talk about the last days, the rapture, the end times, it's not meant to scare you. It's meant to encourage you. It's meant to put courage into you. It's meant to inspire you, put the spirit in you. Guys, this, this, this is not just a kid's picture. This is the eternal promise of the living God for all who believe, amen? That's it. And so if you take a look back at this timeline, okay? You can see what the future holds according to God's word. And I need to tell you this. I need to tell you this because well-meaning Christians sometimes get nutty about this stuff, man. There are all sorts of different views out there among scholars about like what precisely timing these events are all gonna occur in. Uh, this is more of like a pre-tribulation kind of picture of things. Don't get confused or caught up in debates and that jargon. I'm pre-millennial, I'm post-millennial. The older I get, the simpler I make it, okay? When folks ask, Tim, what's your official position as the pastor? I tell them, I'm pan-millennial. I believe in the end, it'll all pan out. <laughs> because when Jesus comes, he's going to fix this, okay? Wherever we are on this timeline, one thing is certain. Christ is closer today than ever before in history. So understand this. Good people can disagree on the timing of things and still miss the big E on the I-chart. What's the final destination on the journey for every person? What? Eternity. All Christians agree from all time that everybody spends forever somewhere. The question is, I'm just going to come right out and ask it, for those of you who haven't made a choice to believe, what are you waiting for? Do, Do you know where you'll spend eternity. My daughter can go and she can get a master's and a doctorate degree and end times eschatology and all this, and other, but at the end of the day, this is it. This is all you need to believe to begin that relationship with God. You may not know the precise date that Jesus is going to turn, return, but you can know the precise date that you trusted him in your heart. And I want to give you the opportunity to make that day today. You know, some of you have been coming for a while. I was talking to somebody, and they were like, hey, Pastor Tim, I've been coming for like 12 weeks. I'm starting to really weigh this Jesus stuff. At first, I thought it was dorky and weird. And, but I noticed you guys are honest about being dorky and weird. And I'm starting to think, maybe there's something, too. Jesus is claiming my life. What do, you, what, what do I need? What do I need to get in on this thing? You need the faith of a child, Jesus says. Because at the end of the day, it's all about love. My daughter loved her Nana, and she loves Jesus. And because of that, she knows she'll see her again. And she can't wait to see Jesus too. It's all about God's love. He came the first time because he loved you. He said, I love you so much, it hurts. I want to die for you to show you my love. And when he comes a second time, he's coming to bring you to life, eternal life. He says, I want you to be part of the restoration of all things. And all you have to do is ask. You simply confess your sins. You, You ask his spirit to cleanse your heart and literally trust your life to Christ. That's how simple it is. So guys, you can leave here with confidence, knowing where you're going, if you've never done that before. I can't think of a better day to do that than today. We're going to have communion in a minute. You know what communion is? Jesus says, I want you to take the body and the blood, and I want you to do this as a way of remembering me until I return. So that's what we're going to do. We're going to remember Christ. But if you've never received Christ, invite him into your heart, your life. The pastor would be love to pray with you at each of your campuses, wherever you are. Come up to the communion table and receive that as his gift to you. Amen? All right, let's bow our heads and pray, everybody. Lord, I thank you. I thank you, God. Thank you, thank you, thank you for um, your goodness. God, you came up with the rescue plan that would bring your son to this world, a backwater town in the Middle East 2,000 years ago. And Father, Jesus, we believe by faith. Because you died and were resurrected again, you will come back again for every man and woman. I thank you right now. I ask that your Holy Spirit, Lord, would just fill the hearts of your people. Confirm, Lord, for them your deep love for them. Lord, let this breathe hope into people, even our congregation, who have been really struggling, Lord, with the hurt and the pain of living in a broken world. Thank you that you're making all things new, putting it all back together through the resurrection power of our Savior Jesus. And I pray right now for people, men and women, at each campus who are going to come forward to receive communion as they do, This would be their act of birth, that they are receiving Jesus into their heart through faith and that you would save them to the very end. We ask that in the name of Jesus and all God's people said together, Amen. Thanks for listening to Liquid Church Media. If you were inspired or challenged by today's message, we hope you'll tell a friend. For more content, log on to liquidchurch.com.